John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast, November 1914. This podcast looks at life in World War I through the letters of John Adams, who was 23 when he joined in September 1914. He served with the 9th Service Battalion Royal Irish Fusiliers and was involved in many significant events in the Western Front, particularly Passchendaele. These are his words, read by his grandchildren and narrated by his great-grandchildren. My name is Mark Adams and John Adams was my grandfather. When we last left John Adams in September 1914, he had journeyed to Clandiboy to join the army. He joined the 9th Service Battalion Royal Arse Fusiliers. While a lot is made of the divisions that fought in Ireland, we want to focus on the regiment. In November 1914, we do not have any of John Adams' letters, so again this is a month where we are not reading out the letters, but we have an interview with Jonathan Maguire, who's a historian and researcher from the Royal Irish Fusiliers Museum in Armagh City. I asked him if he could give us a background on the Royal Irish Fusiliers, starting with their beginning and right up to just before the First World War. Royal Irish Fusiliers, Princess Victorious. In 1793, Britain found themselves at war with the French. This necessitated the capture of French colonies and the maintenance of Canadian internal security, having as it did a population primarily of French origin. At the same time, an outbreak of yellow fever had depleted the ranks of the British regiments available in the West Indies. To add to this, in September 1795, Britain went to war with the Dutch. The 78 regiments that existed prior to 1793 were insufficient, and towards the end of the year, the 87th or Prince of Wales Irish was raised at Summerhill, Dublin, by Lieutenant Colonel, later General Sir John Doyle, the 89th being raised by Colonel William Crosby. The next year, 1794, the 87th would see its first action at a lost. General Doyle was the first man of the regiment to be wounded when he rode out to meet a French dragoon, mistaking him to be an ally. After a loss, the regiment fought at bergen op -Zoom. At the same time as Doyle met the French, the 89th would be blooded at Boxtail. At this juncture, 1796, Spain entered the debacle. After ser service in the Low Countries, the 89th returned to Ireland, initially moving to Bantry Bay due to the French invasion scare and then marched across country to fight at the notable action at Vinegar Hill in Wexford. Of course, we must not forget the regiment's militia. The Armagh militia, later 3rd Battalion Royal Irish Fusiliers, fought at Ballinamuck, uniquely capturing a French colour on British soil. At the same time, the Monaghan militia, later 5th Battalion Royal Irish Fusiliers, were engaged at Ballinahinch. Napoleon never gave the regiment a moment's rest. 1801 would see the blockading of Valletta by the 89th. Moving to Alexandria, the unit would be the advance guard to take possession of Cairo. Hence, we were awarded the Sphinx badge superscribed by the battle honour Egypt. In 1804, both the 87th and 89th raised second battalions the former in Tipperary, Galway and Clare, the latter in Wexford, Kilkenny, Waterford, Limerick and Limerick City, no doubt enlisting a number of their former opponents. 
After two years at home, the first 87th was dispatched to South America. Storming on the 3rd of February 1807, Montevideo, later a battle honor, and assaulting Buenos Aires. Quartermaster O'Grady, the first recruit to join the 87th in Dublin as a private volunteer, received the gold medal for gallantry at this action. O'Grady, or Grady as he variously appears, was the son of a Dublin solicitor. Too poor to buy a son a commission, the only option available to a penniless gentleman was to join as an unpaid volunteer who might be granted a commission for gallantry at a later date. Most of this type of recruit would die in the attempt in whatever regiment they served. It was not for nothing that the first troops into the breach were called the Forlorn Hope. It was only in 1847 that the Military General Service Medal was authorised. This medal covered retrospective actions which the authorities considered sufficiently important. Only 25,650 men would live to claim the medal as no claims were entertained from deceased soldiers' families. The equivalent French medal, the St. Helena medal, would see an issuance of 450,000 medals. 29 clasps were authorised but hundreds of actions were deemed unworthy and many veterans were disappointed. The regiment would see 19 of its battles medallically disregarded. The museum recently purchased Quartermaster O'Grady's medal, thus re reuniting the medals after 167 years, the gold medal having previously been donated many years ago by the O'Donovan. Not to be outdone by the first 87th, the second 87th fought at Oporto, Casa de Salinas and Talavera. Now we come to the Battle of Barossa. The second 87th would win immortal glory on the 5th of March 1811, when they took not only the first Napoleonic Eagle to be captured, that of the 8th French Demi Brigade, but the first two. On the heights south of Cadiz, being outnumbered two to one, sadly a wounded private who had been given the second Eagle to carry, fatigued, threw it away. Professor Oman believed the second Eagle to be that of the 45th French Regiment, for the capture the Prince of Wales made the regiment his own. Of 13 eagles once held by the British Army, only five would be taken in battle. The first at Barossa, or first two depending on how you look at it. The second two captured at Salamanca. Four eagle poles minus their eagles were also captured at Salamanca. A private of the 44th, after baneting a French officer, discovered an eagle secreted on his person whilst robbing him. Three poles were also taken at Talavera, and the final two eagles would be captured at Waterloo. Rightly, the capture of an eagle polar staff was deemed to be the capture of an eagle. French eagles were the equivalent of British colours, but were disproportionately carried at a ratio of one to four. The eagles were normally screwed to the top of the staff for ease of removal in extremis. But the eagle of the 8th French Demi Brigade, Napoleon had ordered nailed to the staff as its loss was considered impossible. The 8th Demi Brigade had been made grenadiers after their conspicuous exploits in the Polish campaign. Oft times the eagles were left out of battle if they were at all thought to be at risk. Interestingly, each French line of battleship carried a similar eagle but one was never captured as they were often thrown overboard at the first sight of a British man of war. 
The Spanish government hold one of these naval eagles which came into their possession but not in action. Eventually the captured eagles would be laid up in the Royal Hospital Chelsea. On the night of the 16th of April 1852, a person or persons unknown wrenched the eagle from its staff, shattering it and making off. The first object one sees when entering the Regimental Museum, Sovereign's House on the Mall in Armagh, are the remnants of the original staff and the galvano-plastic replica eagle produced in order that it might be carried at the Duke of Wellington's funeral. The 2nd 87th would fight at Tarifa, Fort de Puente, Porta Larga, Vittoria, where they captured Field Marshal Jordan's Botton, which now resides in the Royal Collection at Windsor. Uh, they also fought at Abida Soa, Nivelle, Orthez, Bigor and Toulouse. All the while, the 1st 87th fought in Mauritius, as did the 1st 89th, having previously fought at Belturden. Finally, before moving on the regiment's exploits in the subcontinent, we must not forget the 2nd 89th, who fought at Chrysler's Farm, Black Rock, Lundy's Lane, Niagara, Fort Erie, uh, and Fort St. George in North America. Coming towards the end, we consider the later Victorian period. On the defeat of Napoleon, the 87th and two other regiments subdued the Gurkhas following the battle at Fort Hatras and later the action at Makwanpur. The next enemy to be encountered were the Pindaris. These were Indian freebooters whose women folk were actually feared more than the men, somewhat akin to Afghans. It was said of the women it was the easiest way to remove a stubborn bracelet from a child's arm was to cut off the hand. Meanwhile, the 89th would fight in the Malay archipelago of Java and India. After this, both the 87th and 89th fought in the Ava campaign in Burma during the 1820s. At this point, the regiment, regiment service became quiescent for 30 years, uh, primarily garrisoning, garrisoning the empire. The regiment would see no further active service until the siege of Sebastopol, the fighting having been so intense in the first half of the century that, unique in the annals of the British Army, the 89th had to have its colours replaced three times in 56 years. The Crimean War was quickly followed by the Sepoy Mutiny, in which both regiments would fight, and later the 87th uh, went into action in China in small numbers. This was followed again by another 20 years of peace, and in the 1880s uh, we would see the rise of the Mad Mahdi in the Sudan, and the 1st Battalion Royal Irish Fusiliers, as they were by this point, having previously been the 87th foot, fought at Tel Al-Kabir, whilst the 2nd Battalion uh, would fight at El Teb, Tokar and Tamai. In 1892 the regiment raised a pipe band, and 1896 would see the end of the scarlet tunics used in action when they were finally worn on the Ashanti campaign. Moving towards the end of the century, the regiment's mounted infantry fought in Mashonaland. Rounding off the century and ushering in the new one, the 1st Battalion Irish Fusiliers found themselves defending Ladysmith after the Battle of Talana to, to be relieved by the 2nd Battalion, who would later fight at the Battle of Peter's Hill. 
Thank you to Jonathan Maguire for the hard work he put into that. And uh, also that I found it very interesting, and I hope you did too, just giving us a background to the Royal Irish Fusiliers. And if you are in Armagh, do call into the Royal Irish Fusiliers Museum on the Mile. Follow them on Facebook by searching Royal Irish Fusiliers Museum and on their webpage royal-irish.com. Thank you for listening to John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast. To find out more about John Adams and his family, visit www.johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters. The podcast will be published a hundred years after the letters were written, so will be published nearly every month. This has been a Mark Smith production.